Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Know Who Drives Return. To listen to all of our podcasts, be sure to visit podcast.boardroomalpha.com and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any. For ongoing daily analysis, check out our channel at thestreet.com slash boardroomalpha. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. And now back to the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Know Who Drives Return, a podcast brought to you by Boardroom Alpha. I'm David Drapkin, and today we're joined by Sam Sidhu, who's the president and CEO of Customers Bank, the subsidiary of bank holding company Customers Bank Corp, the ticker is CUBI. We're excited to talk to Sam today on a range of topics from leadership to you know, the pioneering work that the bank is doing in crypto and the digital asset space. So Sam, thanks so much for, for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks, David. It's it's really a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, first, I want to you know congratulations on you know taking over as your know, president and CEO earlier this summer. Um, you know, for a little bit of background for the listeners, why don't you give us you know a, a bit of where you come from, sort of your path, um, you know, both at at Customers Bank, but you know, what did you do earlier in your career? Sure. No, absolutely. So. Um, I'll start from the beginning. Uh, born and raised in, in Pennsylvania, which is an important aspect of the story because Customers Bank is um, is headquartered in uh, in my hometown. Um, I uh, grew up in a, a banking family, if there is such thing. My father, um, you know, has been a longtime bank CEO and also at Customers Bank as the executive chairman today. Uh, my sister uh, Loveleen is uh, the CEO of BM Technologies, uh, BMTX. Right now, it's a challenger bank traded in the New York Stock Exchange and. And yesterday of all days, um, after being divested by Customers Bank, has now come back full circle and, and is, uh, is merging with the bank charter. Um, so uh, it's sort of been running through our, our blood for some time, although I started my career in, in, uh, in media tech. Um, so I, uh, I, I believe, David, you and I you know, didn't cross paths, but have a similar <laughs> career of uh, undergraduate at, at Wharton. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I went to uh, uh, Goldman Sachs for uh, media tech investment banking. And then after Providence, sorry, after Goldman joined a firm called Providence Equity Partners, uh, which was a media tech focused sector uh, private equity fund, um, was based initially in their uh, uh, Providence office, uh, living in Boston um, as a young 23 year old who was not ready to move to uh, quote unquote suburbia. Um, but, uh, but then, um, you know, raised my hand and, and actually uh, joined a founding team in India to help open up an office. Uh, uh, and this was now going back to 2008, um, which the crisis had started. Um, it was in full force, and it was frankly a good time to be away from some of the Western countries that were feeling the full brunt of, of what was going on. Um, post business, uh, post that, went to business school at Harvard Business School, um, and while at business school, started a real estate private equity, um, and then eventually became a development firm called Megalith Capital Management. Um, you know, fast forward 10 years, uh, Megalith was a fully integrated development firm and an operator had a, had a very large portfolio of, of not just New York City properties um, of over a million square feet, but really around the country. Um, and an important aspect of the story is I actually, you know, started a fintech focused SPAC, um, which allowed me to really help connect the fact that I've been on the board of Customers Bank for eight years at the time, had spent a good amount of time, you know, circling all kinds of financial services technology companies that were around the charter, some of which 
were servicing the charter, some of which arguably should have been portions of the charter um, and had an opportunity to join Customers Bank and the management team and really help bring it all together because I think that that sort of experience brought it all full circle that the charter is where all the value was. Um, but, you know, last thing I would say is, uh, you know, most importantly, my wife and I are uh, proud parents of, of two young girls. That's a, a great story. I wish I could say our, our paths of, of of Penn to Goldman were, were more unique, but um, nonetheless, I, I also enjoyed my time doing the, those two things. Um, so can we get you know a little bit of the, the elevator pitch, if you will, for, for, for the listeners that may not be as familiar with Customers Bank, how you fit into you know the broader holding company, um, and what relationship? Uh, how does that work? An overview of the business and how does that you know holding holding co bank charter relationship work? Sure, 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 absolutely. So I'll start with the holding company. The holding company is the publicly traded entity whose sole purpose is really to be the holding company for the bank. So 100% of the holding company's business is the bank. And that's really just an old sort of legacy uh, regulatory you know, type structure. So our, regula- our holding company is regulated by, um, and uh, we're regulated by both the Federal Reserve as well because of the holding company, as well as the Pennsylvania State. Um, so that's sort of just helpful regulatory and, and structural color. The, you know, the bank is, is really a 10-year-old startup. Um, it's uh, it was a, a company called New Century Bank that the current management team acquired, cleaned up. It was going to go the FDIC assisted route in 2009, but the, the management team stepped in, recapitalized it, and really the the mantra has always been a different type of banking, so high touch supported by high tech, um, and it's really at the intersection of community banking and fintech. And fintech really wasn't what it was called back then. And high tech was was sort of what we were called. So bankers walking around with MacBooks and then eventually iPads, helping to open up um, bank accounts, but importantly, servicing the the customers at their businesses, at their homes, where they were doing business, bringing the service angle plus plus technology. Now, that technology has evolved a lot over the past decade since the bank was first formed. But I think that that's sort of where we look to be at is the intersection of that hybrid community banking plus fintech. We're now a top 100 bank in the country. Mm-hmm. If you actually look at the verticals that we're in, you know, we have traditional CNI lending and deposit gathering on the commercial side. We also have national businesses like SBA, banking for mortgage companies. Um, to give you perspective in that business in, 2000, in, sorry, in 2020, <clears throat> we funded 2% of all mortgages in the U.S., by funding the mortgage companies that were then funding those loans. We provided them the warehouse lines. Um, we only have 12 branches, um, which is, I think, very unique. And and uh, uh, and they're really the same similar 12 branches as when the bank was, uh, you know, was initially uh, founded. An important aspect of the business is we have what we call sort of the digital customers. So in addition to our uh, commercial business lines, which go beyond some of the ones I mentioned. I also forgot to mention lender finance, fund finance, real estate specialty lending, equipment finance, multifamily, some more of our, our national businesses. But we have digital customers, about 150,000 on the consumer side, um, not so dis, dis different than the you know the upgrades, the SoFi's, the upstarts the, of the world um, of a proprietary platform that we, that we sort of have created. In addition to that, we were a very active BBP originator. We originated, we were the number two bank in the country this year. We did $10 billion in loans, 320,000 plus uh, loans, um, you know, to businesses all around the country. So we have a growing digital first customer base, which I think makes us very unique uh, in the banking world. Right, right. Um, And uh, what what geographies are you focused on? So our uh, community banking businesses are Chicago, Boston, Providence, 
Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, um, and then sort of DC metro area, North Carolina, Florida, Texas. So we're filling in a footprint in a franchise, but really concentrated in the Northeast, but growing across the country. Right, right. I uh, noticed uh, the publicly traded stock has been on a tear uh, in, in the last year. To what to what do you owe sort of the you know the, the explosion in the stock price? And you know how, how can investors think about you know that story and, and the dynamic over the last year or so? Sure. You know, I think that we've always been tech forward, but it's difficult for I think investors to understand what that means. And it hasn't also been, hasn't been as explosive to be able to capitalize on that platform. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, whether we like it or not, there's been a lot of changes in the way a consumer, whether it's a business consumer or an individual consumer, operate and interact with their banks. Um, And a lot of folks have become a lot more digital branch oriented, as we call it internally. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there's been an opportunity for us to show that our platform through PPP was you know, is way ahead, you know, the top 1%, if not better, of banks out there. We did more loans than JP Morgan and Wells and City and all those banks. And I think that showed that we are agile and that we're also able to have a credit-led challenger bank mentality. So we have profitable customers coming in to the tune of hundreds of thousands um, that really differentiates us. And on top of that, we've been able to show that we continue to innovate. Mm-hmm. Um, so we created a real-time payments platform. You touched on it with crypto yeah. customers. And I think that's really helped customers, uh, investors rather, understand that we have growing earnings, we're building capital, and we have a differentiated business model. Got it. Got it. Yeah, and we'll get to, we'll get to the crypto. On, on PPP, though, is that is that a one-time event or do you, do you see that you know spilling over um, into growth areas you know elsewhere because obviously you know no one wants another covid um, uh, clearly you know the the, the, PP, the PPP program was a was a boon to the business so how do you sort of see that going forward sure absolutely it's it it it's, it is one time it's a one time program but i think what i tell investors is Underwrite it as one time and a non-dilutive capital raise to the tune of $400 million. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of the day, we'll prove to you how many of these customers that we can convert, cross-sell, bring into the bank. Um, uh, But importantly, we're we're reinvesting and making ourselves better, more agile, um, and acquiring new customers who have now recognized that there's something something differentiated about customers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so, so trying to get as many customers into the ecosystem as you can. Um, so let's let, let's talk about crypto. Noticed, you know, recent announcement that I think you, I think I read you signed up your first four institutional clients. Um, can you talk about what exactly you guys are doing in your crypto strategy? Um, how um, how investors should think about that? Is this a? I think I'm pretty sure it's a commercial. It's a commercial institutional uh, program. So can you, can you give a little bit of overview of sort of what exactly you guys are doing there? Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, and you're right, it's it's a B2B real-time payments platform of instant transfer and settlement. But I think it's important before we go straight to crypto to take a step back, which is yeah. what is real-time payments and why are we doing it? So the view that we have at Customers Bank is that real-time payments is whether it's a consumer or whether it's a commercial customer, customers will be demanding this. Is it two years, three years, five years, seven years? I don't know. It's going to happen. Um, so the ability to have a Venmo or PayPal-like experience where that's more of an instant transfer. It's not necessarily settling your bank account with that type of instant. So it's kind of collapsing that um, that into the bank and the, and, the, and the technology platform into one. Now, to do it effectively today, both sides of the transaction need to be a customer's bank customer because there is an interbank type operability, which is a problem we're looking to solve 
more broadly, um, but you know, probably time for another day. Right. So the the 24 by 7, 365 nature of the instant transfer and settlement is what is attracting commercial customers, specifically in the largest droves today, uh, digital asset customers, as we call that, are sort of different way, cryptocurrency type customers. So these are customers that that are uh, their markets are open 24 by 7, 365. They're generally under banked or they only have a few institutions that understand their businesses that understand the uh, extra scrutiny or BSA or compliance risk that one needs to have to, in terms of an internal program to be able to accept these types of customers. But importantly, there's different, the ecosystem there of the types of customers you asked, how are you doing it? Why? It's it's exchanges, it's stablecoin providers, it's OTC desk, it's liquidity providers. It looks like the traditional financial markets, but but for the uh, the capital markets and investment aspect of the of the uh, digital asset ecosystem. So uh, we've those are the four customers that we announced that was important to kind of put out there. We have about two dozen or so uh, that are part of our soft launch, and we just launched in October. We've already brought a billion and a half dollars of non interest bearing deposits, which are the raw materials in the banking world that we can go out and uh, and lend and and. We think that there's a tremendous amount of supply out there, but importantly, we're solving a problem the customers um, uh, see tremendous value in, and we're creating sticky long-term relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, and are any of your competitors doing something similar in the real-time payment space? Why, you know, why, why is there a gap um, in in terms of demand from from digital asset customers and what's being currently provided? Yeah, so I think it's, what's interesting about the banking industry is we call ACH and Fedwire legacy rails. Um, but but there's no new technology out there to replace yeah, yeah. it. It doesn't make sense that that it takes two to three, and in, if you add a weekend, five days plus or minus sometimes oh, yeah. on a worst case scenario to settle a transaction in between banks, and then the bank that receives it may also take another day or two before they release the funds. It's just a it is a it's a, it's silly that we're we're dealing with these types of technologies because mm -hmm. there's a lack of cooperation amongst the banks, and just generally the banking industry is very slow. On, on technology advancement. And the current technology we're using was to replace checks, to clear checks, as opposed to actually sending virtual money around, which is technically what, we, what we're all dealing with yeah. um, right now. So I think that um, you know, banks will realize that they need to catch up here and they will change. Uh, but at the end of the day, working capital efficiency, having the ability to do it in the blockchain, which is how we're doing it, which allows you to have a data transfer, doesn't require that extra reconciliation. It's immutable. It's a rev it's revo irrevocable. Uh, it has tremendous amounts of benefit. There's all kinds of other different things that we can also do for our customers in terms of what are called smart contracts. I don't really like that term because they're neither smart nor contracts. But there's the point is, is you're transferring data and you have an ability to have that data along with a transaction, the loan participation, the capital markets trade. There's all kinds of interesting things that we can eventually start to try to do. But I think that the banking industry is slowly starting to catch up, but generally the industry reacts to customer demand. And I think we're trying to be innovators and try to actually tell the customers that this is what they need, even though they don't know they need it yet. And now a word from our sponsor, Boardroom Alpha. Boardroom Alpha delivers Moneyball for public company officers and directors so you know who drives return. Evaluate the full track records for every CEO, CFO, and director with exclusive ratings, tracking of insider buy and selling, executive compensation, SPAC and M&A history, relationships, and more. Also, evaluate companies from a performance-focused governance perspective that includes board and executive team ratings, diversity, compensation analytics, board risks, and more. Institutional investors use Boardroom Alpha for idea generation and validation of longs and shorts, while everyone from executive recruiters to proxy advisors and others 
rely on the data to keep up to date on all people activity and easily search for top talent. Learn more at www.boardroomalpha.com. Um, and I think you mentioned this earlier, but the so the technology on the, on the blockchain that you're, that you're putting together, um, as I understand it, it's uh, can be utilized across industry and, and not simply for, you know, quote, crypto related firms. Is that correct? I mean, that, that, that'll get the most buzz out there, but th- this technology is, is applicable you know, across industry. So while, you know, crypto is, is one thing, it, it can be used elsewhere. Hundred percent. You know, we have customers in the uh, real estate industry, const- real estate commercial landlords, uh, construction. Um, some of our, you know, mortgage uh, and mortgage companies and title companies that are all seeing value in this, mm-hmm. um, and we're working to try to. And, and once we can do that, it's interesting. Our, our relationship managers or our sales folks within the organization, you know, the, the banking is commoditized industry. You can differentiate on service, and technology is my, in, in our opinion. Right. Yeah. At the end of the day, then it's just price and structure and those types of things, which arguably, you know, you shouldn't be messing around with too much. So <clears throat> if you have more products to sell, or in this case, we're offering this for free to our customers, um, it creates an extra sense of loyalty and, and stickiness to a relationship, which is really what builds franchise value, drives stock price, like as an example of what our earlier conversation. Right. And so I was going to say how you make money. And so is, is, is the technology uh, that you're offering proprietary technology? We are. We actually have partnered with a company called Tacit. So they're actually our infrastructure partner. Um, and our thought process was is that it'd be better to partner with someone as their first bank customer mm-hmm. um, and help. And, and this is something we've done before. We've been the first bank partner for many prominent fintechs out there, Upstart, uh, Oak North on the credit, credit and portfolio management side, now Tacit, where uh, we get the benefit of dozens and dozens of engineers and a customized project for a product for us. Um, without having to necessarily, um, you know, build it uh, solely ourselves. We view our proprietary technology as our infrastructure layer that sits on top of our core and touches our customer that helps us connect with some of these third-party providers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and how big of a business do you see this being, you know, overall for, you know, for the future, you know, revenue mix of, of the company going forward? So I think it's difficult to say exactly, you know, what the, you know, I, I talked a little bit about the, the incremental benefit to existing customers. Those customers may bring us more deposits. They may also bring us more of their counterparties who want to settle in real time, which I think has a zero customer acquisition cost to all those incremental dollars and customers, which are the raw materials that that allow us to now make future revenue. Um, We're viewing this to the fact that we brought in $3.1 billion of deposits last quarter. Um, We view this as we're bringing in cheaper, a zero to low cost deposits are raw materials, which will allow us then to grow outsized in the industry and then allow us to deploy those um, and, and maintain a, a, you know, a healthy margin. So we view it as the fuel that helps fuel, you know, um, fuel our future growth. Right. And you view these as you know, sticky deposits going forward. Absolutely. And I think that's the point of having an intrabank and, and making sure that we're, we're uh, owning the full relationship and importantly, providing the other products and services beyond payments, which we view as eventually going to be table stakes, which is why we're not trying to charge excessively for it. Or, or do, you know, we're, we're saying this is free. Join us. Payments for free. And, we'll, you know, if you and if you give us deposits for free, that's the trade off. Right. <laughs> that is a trade off. And so what what do you think other financial institutions are getting wrong? Um, or, or is it 
I think, I think you alluded to this earlier that just given the nature of the industry, maybe the size of some other institutions, is it, is it just harder to, to adapt more quickly and, and get rid of, um, you know, the legacy rails, as you mentioned, or is it, you know, let's, let, let's wait until we, we, we have to do something. What do you think they're getting wrong? So I think it's, I wouldn't necessarily say it's wrong because that implies that we're the only thing that, to, right. that we are doing is right. I think we're being innovated and, and fast moving in the sense that we're, we're helping to blaze a path that we think others will follow. I think that banks are the, the most, even some of the most thoughtful, innovative, strategic CEOs in the industry will tell you they're burdened by um, uh, legacy technology, in some cases, a branch network, in most cases, a branch network, and also regulatory mindset, which is not necessarily collaborative, constructive, um, and, uh, and their customers are sticky. So when your customers are sticky linked to that legacy branch network, you're not necessarily compensated or rewarded for being an innovator. Um, so I think that what's happening right now is the folks around the charter are actually challenging the core business uh, in such a way that they're forcing some of that innovation. So I don't think that that they're getting it wrong. They won't get it wrong in the long term. They'll have to innovate. It's my view that if you look at the top 10 banks in the country 10 years from now, they're going to be 10 technology companies and eight of them will probably be exactly the same as you see today, uh, right? They'll just have pivoted and they will be a lot more technology focused, uh, you know, than, than, uh, than, you know, than strictly sort of banking and financial services first, you know, supported by technology. Uh, I've definitely heard, uh, been 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 familiar with banks who like to refer to themselves as technology companies. So I, I see that in, in the future. Uh, so we spoke about you know B two B the product that, that you're focused on now. Just curious as to your view from a retail standpoint, individual bankers, individual customers rather. Where do you see digital assets and crypto going in the future when it comes to personal banking and, and those sorts of assets? Sure. So I think that. Um... I was shocked to hear earlier this year in March or April that 40% of Goldman Sachs' private wealth clients um, owned cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's just what Goldman knows, right? This is probably, there's probably a lot that, that there may even be more that they, they aren't necessarily aware of. I think that there's been a little bit of a barbell approach where it's been the ultra high net worths and then the masses, especially over the past 12 to 18 months. And what's happening is, is I think the middle is filling in. Now, when you think about what is a bank providing you in addition to credit, and it's parking your deposits, storing your safety deposit box. So I think eventually consumers will be looking to banks to be the custody providers. They'll be looking to banks to be the lenders on on an alternative type Mm -hmm. of asset. Now, I don't think the industry is anywhere near that today, nor are we. But I think that's where things will start to converge. And I think that as... Uh, digital asset investing and ownership, especially as it relates to store of value, not necessarily the transactional nature of it. Uh, that might be left to you know different types of companies, but I think that that banks may start to get more and more involved over time. And I think, frankly, that's probably where the regulatory mindset also is: is they'd like to say that banks are more the gatekeeper of these types of assets and investments. Yeah, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with, with, with the trends there. Um, and so lastly, who who are who can I think of as some of your your main competitors? So, you know, I talked to you about some of our <clears throat> our commercial businesses. There's community banks in each of the markets that we serve that are that are that are comp- you know, competing with us, and we consider them to be more competitors than the national players. Um, in our <clears throat> in some of our business lines, you know, we have niche players that that look and feel and have business lines 
just like ours. Um, you know, and I think on the digital asset space, there's really just two banks, um, you know, out there that have really carved an edge from them as as, as Signature and Silvergate. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I think that, uh, but now you know, we've doubled the size of our balance sheet in the past eighteen months, um, and I think we're on a very good trajectory. So we'll have bigger. Um, and more adept and agile competition as we continue to grow. So, um, and, and, and continuing to evolve, and, and, and the, the landscape will continue to evolve. Right, right. Um, great, thanks for that. Uh, so, let's shift gears for a little bit. Um, you know, we're, we're obviously focused um, here at Border Alpha on ESG, per, particularly the, the G and the S, but you noticed, um, you know, just in doing a little bit of research on you, um, you mentioned and you put out, you know, an ESG report. Sort of want to hear about, you know, what customers' big commitment to ESG is. Sort of what what are your high priorities, um, and, and sort of what have you been thinking about um, in the in the realm of ESG? Sure, absolutely. So it's something that's that's super important to us. I'm a bank of, or frankly, just a publicly traded company of our size. I think we're one of, uh, you know, we're sort of, uh, you know, in the leading top tier pack to actually put out a report that's. You know, probably a couple of years ahead, uh, before it was as prominent of, as a um, you know uh, as a nomenclature as it is today. So, I think G has always been important, mm-hmm. regardless um, of of whether it's this decade or last decade or even the decade before. So, I think that goes without saying. And and uh, the governance aspect of ESG continues to evolve. And and uh, and you know we we'd like we'd like to sort of stay ahead of the the, the curve and, and be thinking thoughtfully about not just where the puck is today, but where it's going on in the future. As a community bank, the social aspect is incredibly core to who we are. Um, and I think the PPP program is really just a, a, a small aspect that the way that we actually succeeded in PPP um, so significantly was actually not the tech. The tech enabled us to. It was a mission-driven nature of our board that sat in the room and said, we have to participate and we have to be helpful. There are businesses that cannot get loans. And there was also, if you recall, an aspect initially where the um, the money felt like it was going to run out in a week or two. Yeah, I remember. And there was a race. And people forget about that because the windows stayed open much longer afterwards when they got topped off. So that was part of the, the, the mission-driven aspect, especially in our, in our communities and our geographies for our customers. We really wanted to be there. Um, but we also you know, have, uh, have been committed to millions and millions and millions of dollars in, in, in our communities and nonprofits and some of the missions that are important to us, which change over time. Um, but it's an important aspect of who Customers Bank is. Uh, you know, and from an environmental perspective, um, you know, I think you you were you focused on the S and the G. You know, we also take uh, you know we have uh, very interesting conversations in our credit committee about uh, about the types of investments that we want to be making mm-hmm. and the types of investments that we might want to shy away from, not because of optics, again, because of mission. Um, and I think that's a difference. So the folks that are doing it for the the box that they get boxed into is one thing. The folks that think that it's an important lens with which to uh, to run their business and to be committed to their communities, employees, and their customers, I think, is super important. We're large, uh, you know, uh, you know, wind and solar uh, lenders, as an example, um, out of our Boston office. Right, sort of staying away from that uh, greenwashing uh, that that you might see in some That's other right. areas. Of That's right. Yep. Um, that, that, that's that's story for another day, but. Um, uh, uh, interested, you know, it, what's been four, four or five months on, at the new job for you, any, any reflections, um, sort of, you know, being at the top, you know, what, what have you learned so far? Uh, you know, what are you looking forward to in the next, you know, six months, 12 years, 12 months, sure. five, not 12 years, <laughs> but you could talk about 12 I years hope. If, if you I like. Hope. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, you know, I think what I've learned is that, that it, you know, while I had taken a lot of my predecessor, Dick East, had, uh, you know, had, uh, I took over from him and I transitioned from him over an 18 month period as chief operating officer to, to, to president and CEO. And I think that uh, uh, while I had taken a lot of the direct reports uh, and a lot of the responsibilities and the span of control over a period of time, as you can imagine, it wasn't a one day period. Mm-hmm. A lot changes on the day when you're sitting in the hot seat. Um, And the saying it's lonely at the top is absolutely true. Um, There's only so many confidants and and folks that not just you that that they can not just support you in some of the very tough decisions, because if if, uh, at the end of the day, a CEO drives strategy vision helps with execution. But a lot of the decisions you have to make are in a gray area, not in a gray area in the sense that's a legal gray area, a gray area in the sense that people don't know, should I go left or should I go right? Right. Um, And I think that that, 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 that your day is filled with those types of decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you have to have the right gut and conviction, but also you have to say this isn't the ultimate decision. Mm -hmm. We can always pivot. We can always make a wrong decision. We can always, you know, failing fast is a tremendous virtue. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so I think there's been a lot of learnings you know, from that aspect, you know, one of the things that I have also recognized is um, how I'm feeling, how I slept the night before does not matter. You got to have a smile on your face and walk into that office because everyone's eyes are on you and they feed off of your energy. Um, And uh, I think that's also important. So being the cheerleader of the company, whether it's internally, whether it's externally, whether it's on podcasts, this I also did a webinar this morning, um, is incredibly important. But first and foremost, it's it's driving the strategy and the Mm -hmm. vision of the company. Um, and I think that coming from the background that I come from, which is non-traditional in the banking sense and having, while not a technologist, but also not a banker, mm-hmm. but someone who understands a little bit of both and is technically a millennial, I think is super helpful uh, in the role that I'm in today, especially right. where, where the banking industry is today. All, all eyes on you. Um, uh, that's interesting to hear. And I, and, I, and I know you mentioned not a traditional background, but you know we also think a lot about here, over here about you know, leadership succession, um, you know, new management coming in. How important do you think having that, I'm thinking you mentioned an 18 month sort of transition process was, um, you know, in turning over from, from your predecessor versus obviously some situations you can't plan for. Um, but did, do you feel like you were better prepared because of that, you know, sort of visibility in, into the transition plan? I think a hundred percent, especially because I came outside of the company. Mm-hmm. If I had been in the company, we probably could have handled a quicker transition. But I think one of the most important things is to actually put a date out there. Right. And once a date's out there, I think we actually did it six months sooner than the date. But once the date is out there, then everyone starts rowing in the same direction. It's a question of when, not if. Um, the transition is not viewed uh, unfavorably. It's inevitable, um, and I think that was very helpful. But also, just from a mentorship perspective. It was really helpful to have, uh, you know, my predecessor in the seat who had been at Customers Bank since the beginning of the, the formation when New Century Bank was acquired and um, and had has probably four times as much professional experience as I have. He retired when he was 74, uh, you know, years old. Um, and I just went to his formal retirement party last Friday because uh, it was uh, postponed due to COVID. Yeah. Congratulations yeah. to him. Uh, anyways, lastly, uh, so what, what what should we be looking out for um, from Customers Bank in the next year? What what excites you, um, and, and where 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 should we look for 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 growth? Yeah, so I think that on the growth side, um, we are 
Um, we are growing geographically. We're expanding geographically into new markets as well as adjacent markets, which is very atypical, you know, in a, in a branch-like type model in the banking industry. We're adding new lending verticals with fund finance, technology, venture capital, financial institutions, real estate specialty finance, which, you know, tend to serve uh, different types of corporate, you know, more national customers, investment managers, and fund managers. Um, you know, which is which is atypical, and we'll continue to do that type of growth. On the digital side, we're going to be adding a lot more customers and new industries thanks to our real-time payments platform. Mm -hmm. But also, we're going to be looking to continue to add digital-first customers, which is really unheard of. Smaller ticket, higher volume of customers, customers that you don't necessarily know and you don't look them in the ball of the eye and shake their hand and and have that gut that a relationship manager might have with a small business in 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 a local community. Having said that, we will take very, very smart experienced minds and combine them with data analytics and credit underwriting models um, and portfolio management tools to prevent, you know, and anticipate problems before they happen. But we'll also have to be prepared to take charge-offs, which is a thing that bankers aren't really used to. Zero losses is the way you think about it. So our consumer lending portfolio has quarterly charge-offs and we guide folks to what the charge-offs will be, but our net return, uh, net of those charge-offs is tremendously, you know, uh, uh, valuable. Uh, to the company, the franchise, and we'll look to do something similar on the small business side and continue to evolve those digital branch type customers as well. Great, great. Uh, well, Sam, you know, really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, obviously, a lot going on, exciting stuff you know coming out from C- Customers Bank. Congratulations on all all the progress and the growth in the last couple of years, um, and on your appointment. So, thanks again, and you know, I'm sure we'll be watching out and and, and following all your progress. Thanks, David. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed today's conversation.